Well, good morning, church family. Thank you so much for being here today. And for those of you that are listening online and tuning in online, I would say to you this morning, Shana Tova. Shana Tova. We are celebrating today at sundown uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which is also known as Rosh Hashanah. Many of you that have been following our ministry for a while will know that we have been teaching about the feasts of the Lord for several years now and the uh, greatly anticipated fall feasts are among us. And so we begin at sundown today, Sunday, with Rosh Hashanah. And so we enter in now to the year of 5783 in God's calendar. 5783, as I said, this begins the fall feasts. And I have so much to share with you this morning, and I'm going to try my very best to be as deliberate as I possibly can and as slow as I possibly can. You know that I have a tendency of wanting to rush through because I just get so excited about the Word of God. But I'm going to try my best to bring it down a few notches so that we all can learn something today. Can you say amen to that? I've entitled today's message, Rosh Hashanah and the Mystery of the Red Heifer. Can we pray this morning? Oh, Father in heaven, this message has been showered in prayer. Father, I pray that this morning we will understand in a better way, that we would gain a better understanding of your word, that we would actually be enlightened today with what you have to show us. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, you who point us always to the Lord, always to the Father and to Jesus, His Son. Bring us an open mind this morning that we may understand what it is that you're trying to teach us in this time and in this season that we are living in. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. And the church says, Amen and Amen. Really quickly go into your Bible this morning. We're just going to jump right in to the book of Leviticus, chapter number 23, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to encourage those that are note takers to have pen and paper ready because you're probably going to take quite a number of notes today. Now, I'm going to preface this as you're looking for the book of Leviticus and opening up in chapter 23. I'm going to preface today by just saying that last Sunday, unfortunately, we had a little bit of uh, issues with our sound system. And maybe about uh, 20, 25 minutes or so of last week's message, unfortunately, did not come through. So what I plan to do is um, I plan to do that as a Wednesday night teaching. So I'll bring that same word for a Wednesday night. So that'll happen in a couple of weeks. So be in tune for that. Unfortunately, uh, it was out of our hands and we had issues with the sound system there at church. Um, and that was obviously in the middle of our uh, series for the month of September on, um, on peace, uh, on the missing peace. Uh, so today, what I'd like to do, since it's Rosh Hashanah, we're entering into Rosh Hashanah this uh, sundown. Today at sundown, I wanted to bring you a totally different type of teaching today. So it's not as if I'm going to close the series with um, the, uh, the series that we've been, you know, the month that we've been uh, doing the series with. But let's go ahead and let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to start in verse 24. And it says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no, you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now, here in the following verses, um, 26 and 27, it goes into the Day of Atonement, but I wanted to read it anyway. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this month, uh, is uh, on this, excuse me, on the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. 
It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. The seventh month is the first month in God's calendar. When God says to Moses in the seventh month on the first day in God's calendar, the month, the month of Tishri, it is the first month of the year. That is Tishri, T-I-S-H-R-I. The Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, begins today, Sunday at sundown, as I mentioned. It doesn't always start on, let's say, September 25th, as you may know. Uh, not like our new year when we ring in our new year, which always falls on January 1st, okay? This uh, changes depending on the moon cycle. Now, when the temple was functioning in Jerusalem, the shofar was blown 100 times as a sound that the king was coming. This is all very prophetic. Everything, can you say out loud with me? Everything talks about Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Messiah. Why is it important to understand and celebrate the feasts? Now, I want you to understand they are not Jewish feasts, as some would like to maybe describe. And I've been, uh, um, actually, I've, I've said those words myself. It's a Jewish feast because you know, you try to explain what the feasts are. And yes, generally Jews are the ones that celebrate it. However, they are the feasts of the Lord. So they're not Jewish feasts. They are rather the feasts of the Lord. The Lord was the one that instituted these feasts. And if we've been grafted into the family of God, it is our obligation and responsibility to better understand uh, these feasts and yes to celebrate the goodness of the Lord and what he has done can you say amen to that so there's absolutely nothing wrong for Christians to celebrate the feasts of the Lord and we can commemorate them and understand better what they are all about this is a time when the church listen to me and I want you to really pay attention this is a time when the church, the bride of Christ, needs to look forward. We need to look ahead. We need to look at what lies ahead, not backwards and not at the here and now. We need to look at, at what lies ahead. What lies ahead? Uh, yes, there's a lot of darkness in this world. There's a lot of evil in this world. Can we agree to that? But we as Christians are to look forward to the coming of the Lord. We are to look forward towards the rapture. We are to look forward towards the wedding feasts that, that the Lord is going to have when we're in his presence. We are to look forward to the coronation of the king. And yes, even Armageddon, because that is when we come together as the bride of Christ together with the Lord and we'll take part in when the Lord puts his enemies under his feet and he defeats them once and for all. You know, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to celebrating these feasts. People will say that it's in the Old Testament or that it's just for the Jews, but that is not the case. Again, because we've been grafted into, into the family of God, and those of you that are members of our church will understand when I say grafted because we have taught on that uh, quite extensively. We've been grafted into the family of God. We must commemorate them as well. Now this does not mean we become Jewish and we've abandoned our faith in Jesus. Take that out of your mind. That's not what this is about, okay? Uh, on the contrary, this, what this does was, was cel what celebrating these feasts and better understanding them, what it does is that it enhances our walk with God and our understanding of his word. Who doesn't want to understand the word of God much more? I can say amen and I know that our church can say amen. And it opens up our hearts and minds to the mysteries and prophecies that are written in them as well. It doesn't mean that we have to begin to now wear a talit or a kippah, 
you just need to understand celebrate and wait for the return of the Lord I love how the Bible is filled with types and shadows and we're going to talk a, a bit about that today but uh, these types and shadows with the feasts of the Lord all point directly to our Savior our Jesus our Messiah amen so this feast lasts for two days we celebrated on the sixth day of creation the day in which Adam was created the Feast of Trumpets is known as the head of the year. We count 10 days which are called the Days of Repentance, culminating on the Day of Atonement, which you may know it better as Yom Kippur. And we read those scriptures just a, a moment ago. Again, it is the new year in God's calendar, just like we celebrate our new year come January 1st. Tradi tradition teaches, not the word, but tradition teaches that on this day, the Lord writes down every person's deeds and thoughts in the book of life. And during the new year, he opens up the book to examine each person. So what religious individuals do during this time is that what do they do? They, they begin to behave well. They begin to... Uh, do good deeds they give money to charity and and things like that not realizing that God is in our every day of the year not just during this time of this feast and of course the Lord is watching every single day every single hour not just during this season the only way can I get an amen to this to have your name inscribed in the book of life is through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that is the only way that we can have our names inscribed in the book of life and yes there is a place in the Bible where it talks about the book of life and I, I've taught on that before you can go back to our library and check out the different books that are written in the Bible that that are uh, talked about in the Bible so it's the only way because Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me can I get an amen so the church needs to be reacquainted with these seasons it's it's traditional uh, during this time to eat apples dipped in honey and I want to show you my table I'm sure you've already noticed it as we have some challah bread we have some apples here some honey of course I took out my menorah uh, and we have a pomegranate, but I want to let our church family know that there's a little something for you after service. Um, and at the end of service, someone will be handing these out to you as you go home your way. Uh, I want you to take this home, and what I want you to do is take it home and celebrate it with your family at sundown this evening in celebration of Rosh Hashanah or Rosh Hashanah as some describe it the apple represents provision and the honey sweetness for the coming year that's why you see those elements here and the pomegranate actually is a symbol that's used quite a bit in Israel because it supposedly has 613 little seeds which represent the 613, uh, 613 commandments the Lord gave Israel so you'll see some of the seeds displayed here on my table this holiday is a serious one, or this feast is a ser serious one. Unlike our typical January 1st, where it's a big celebration. Uh, actually, the, the, the big celebration comes that at the, the third or the last uh, feast in the fall feast, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. I've taught on that before, and maybe what I'll do is during this time of this fall season, of the fall feast is all refresh uh, your memory on some of these um, on the three fall feasts that we have coming up uh, it is often referred to as the day of judgment a deep of deep a day of deep introspection it is custom at this time to send friends and family a wish and wish them a happy healthy and prosperous 
new year like i mentioned just a few moments ago shana tova is the typical greeting if you will of wishing um a, your friends and your family a happy and prosperous new year the whole meaning of this part here is uh which means may you be enriched in the book of life for a good year i have a jewish friend of mine who we were uh, neighbors for many many years shuki as a matter of fact and every year I send her and she sends me a Lashana Tova Tiketevo and you know with a little emoji and, and whatnot. Um, God designs the feasts, moeds, these moeds, these times and these seasons. So I want you to get out of your mind that you know, oh, it's something the Jews initiated. No, this is God initiating these times, these moeds, these feasts, this season carefully designed to release blessings upon his children. The blowing of the trumpet is a call for Israel to gather together in a solemn assembly, a holy convocation. Now there's a 10-day period of self-examination, like I said a minute ago, and repentance that leads up to the Day of Atonement. That's why it's so crucial and so, so um, very solemn during this time of the uh, Feast of Trumpets. Prophetically speaking, many scholars see that this feast is a picture of another gathering. Okay, the gathering together of the saints of God to meet the Lord in the air at the time of what we call the rapture. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we are we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have passed on before us. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, I love verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Amen? So that is the gathering together of the saints, much like the gathering together during the time of the shofar that is blasted 100 times during the feast of Rosh Hashanah. One interesting point is to note that the new moon that begins Rosh Hashanah, the month of Tishri, is also called in Hebrew Shevlai, Kevlai, probably Shel Mashiach. Kevlai Shel Mashiach, and the translation of that is the birth pangs of the Messiah. And that's very interesting as well because once the gathering together takes place at the time of the rapture, the seven year tribulation yet then begins. Okay? Uh, and because the Hebrew calendar is a lunar one, you have to realize that these feasts don't occur on the same day each year on the calendar. No man knows the day nor the hour, going back to the Word of God and making the correlation with this feast. So there's much, much more to talk about the Feast of Trumpets, but for now what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave it there because I want to go into another very important topic. However, today when you go home and celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, you may have a time to, may you have a time to retrospect, of retrospect and repentance and ask the Lord to forgive you and draw near to Him like never before. This is, this is my challenge to you as I close this portion of the message today on Rosh Hashanah. I know it's very brief, but I really want to go into the mystery of the red heifer in just a moment. But I pray that you will go home, you know, on your way uh, back home. If you have some bread, I mean, we we got some challah bread and you can buy that if you want. If you want, get some apples and dip them in honey. They're actually very delicious to do. Uh, you can buy a pomegranate if you want. You don't have to, but 
you know, get into a place with your family and maybe friends and just think about this season. Think about where we are going in this season and have a time of alone with a, a time of um, uh, intimacy with the Lord and ask him to forgive you and have a time of uh, uh, self-examination and begin to draw near to him like you haven't done before you know we don't know when Jesus's return is but may we find ourselves in the right standing with God and at peace with God which is what I spoke about last last week to have peace with God is to be in right standing with the Father at the time of his return may we be counted worthy to escape wrath and to stand before his marvelous presence amen may you turn your eyes to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith as we look toward and forward to his imminent return Shana Tova hallelujah hallelujah now let me take a deep breath are you ready with your pen and papers are you ready to open up your Bibles and highlight some scripture verses that will begin to stand out to you like never before something new and very significant uh, I believe is of great significance happened last week that needs to be spoken of because I believe that the timing is actually very interesting it happened just last week and just now we are entering into the fall feast starting with Rosh Hashanah the Feast of Trumpets now, as you know, there are many types and shadows, like I said a minute ago in the Bible, and the mystery of the red heifer is no exception. I want by a show of hands if you've ever heard this term before, the red heifer, okay? Show your hands, okay? If you haven't, that's okay, don't be, don't be shy. That's quite all right, you're gonna learn a lot today, as I have throughout the years and most recently as well. I talked about this briefly some years back when we were studying the Feast of the Lord, and some of you may recall this. Um, but perhaps some of you have heard about it, but it's this isn't something that typically makes headline news. That's for sure. Not this kind of stuff. <clears throat> I want to read to you as quickly as I possibly can. Maybe I'll take a sip of water first. An article that came through and I have also been following the Temple Institute for quite some time. We visited them when we've been in uh, Israel several times. Uh, but the article reads as such, and this is from Israel 365 News. I encourage you to subscribe to this uh, news source because it'll give you a lot of information of what is happening specifically in uh, the nation of Israel. It's Israel 365 News, and this was sent out on September 16th, really just a few days ago, uh, last week. And it says the following. It says, The Temple Institute and Bonnet Israel made a huge step toward reinstating the temple service on Thursday when five red heifers landed at Ben Gurion International Airport. The red heifer was the main component in the biblically, biblically mandated process of ritual purification for impurity that results from proximity or contact with a dead body. We're going to go into all of that in just a minute, so bear with me. Because the elements needed for this ceremony have been lacking since the destruction of the second temple, all Jews today are considered ritually impure, thereby preventing the return of the temple service. The Temple Institute launched its Red Heifer program about a decade ago, led by Rabbi Azariah Ariel. But even in Temple times, an animal that fulfilled the biblical requirements was exceedingly rare. Exceedingly rare. Failing to produce a suitable candidate from ranchers in Israel, the Temple Institute began investigating alternative, alternative sources for a Red Heifer. Bonet Israel an organization that connects Christian lovers of Israel to the Holy Land stepped in to help, led by Brian Stinson, a native Texan. Bonet Israel understood uh, ranchers. And he says, I didn't set out to do this, but right now I'm probably the best red heifer hunter in Texas, Byron said. 
The Bible says to bring a red cow to purify Israel, and I may not understand it, but I am I'm just doing what the Bible said. The prophecies came true, and the Jews are back in Israel, Brian said. Now they need to build a temple. But it's like buying a really nice car. If you don't have the key, you aren't going anywhere. The red heifer is the key to making the temple work like it's supposed to. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a moment and explain to you that right now, as you know, there is not a temple in the Temple Mount, on the Temple Mount. Uh, if they were to even attempt to uh, build a third temple right now, I, I believe that a world war would break out at the present. However, this is still happening and it needs to be uh, understood and we need to be aware of it. It goes on to say here, Bonne Israel, Israel took out full pages ads in ranch magazines explaining the situation to ranchers. They requested that any red calves be set aside. Several years ago, the farmer is, several years ago, the farmer is a devout a Christian who became intensive, intensely interested in the biblical commandment. Stinson explained to Israel 365 News, he began breeding cattle for this trait. So when my team and I set out to search ranchers in Texas for a red heifer, his were already better suited. Now listen to this. One of the major difficulties was that the government requires tagging calves right after birth. The ear tag creates a hole in the calf's ear, which then is a blemish that disqualifies the calf for the mitzvah. So if the, it, the remember, the calf has to be perfect. It cannot have any spot or blemish. We're going to go into that. It cannot have a hole in its ear. <laughs> but watch what happened. The farmer explained that because of COVID, the employee who normally puts in the tags did not come to the farm when these five calves were born. <laughs> That's rather interesting if you ask me. It says a team of rabbis from the Temple Institute flew out to inspect the calves last year. The requirements are incredibly demanding, requiring that there be no more than two non-red hairs on the entire calf. It must also never have been used for any labor or have been impregnated. The heifer must be two years and one day old to be suitable for the ceremony. I know that all of that has a lot of deep meaning, but let me go on. Sometimes a calf that is perfectly red when it's young develops a black or white hairs or white hairs as it grows older or may develop a blemish. Sometimes the colored hairs fall out or disappear. Certifying the calf requires a complete and intensive inspection in which a rabbi knowledgeable in the laws go over, goes over the entire calf with a magnifying glass. Imagine going over an entire cow, a calf, um, heifer with a magnifying glass. Okay. Now I'm going to skip some of this part because it's not relevant to what we are going to be speaking about today. But it says here from the time of Bo Moses who personally prepared the first heifer until the destruction of the temple, only nine red heifers were prepared. Okay. Nonetheless, this was sufficient to maintain the ritual purity of the entire nation for almost 2000 years. According to Jewish tradition, there will only be 10 red heifers in human history with the 10th heifer ushering in the Messianic era. Hmm. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, uh, Maimonides, the most uh, renowned medieval Jewish scholar known by the acronym Ramban, wrote in his explanation of the mitzvah that the 10th red heifer will be accompanied by the King, the Messiah, may he be revealed speedily. Amen. May it be God's will. So, um, yeah, that's rather interesting, if you ask me. And so, when I heard this news, when I read up on it, I, read, I heard a podcast on it as well, I found it to be very interesting, and I began to seek out the Lord. And here we go with the message that God has instilled in my heart to bring to you today as part two of today's message. Now, 
as you know, like I said a minute ago, there are many types and shadows, parallels that are in the Bible, okay? Uh, in my opinion, this here that we read about what's happening right now and at this specific time, I believe is a big deal. Allow me to enlighten you with a teaching on this subject matter. So I want you to go to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter number 19. If you are there, cry out an amen to me. Not amen to me, but amen that you got there. <laughs> Numbers 19, 1 through 5. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute, underline that word, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring, here we go, underline these words, a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp, underline those words, and slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the, the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, I want you to underline these words, and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting, in other words, the tabernacle, seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in its sight, in his sight, its skin, its flesh, and its blood with its dung shall be burned. This statute is one of the most mysterious in Scripture. <clears throat> what I'm about to share with you is part of an ISO course, International School of the Word, that I took. Those of you that are in our church understand this um, school. Uh, because you've taken several classes on it. <clears throat> well, I took this class on the book of Numbers and the Ashes of the Red, Red Heifer. I highly, highly recommend this course. Bill Cloud, who is the professor uh, teaching the class, is highly knowledgeable and he is a scholar of the Word of God. I uh, highly recommend his teachings as well. He knows the Hebrew language uh, as well and he, he has a wealth of information and wisdom pertaining to the Word of God. So <clears throat> this is what we're going to be talking about today. He describes that this commandment is the epitome of what is called in Hebrew, chukat, chukat, C-H-U-K-A-T. The word chukat is often translated as statute or ordinance. The word talks about commandments, judgments, statutes, and ordinances. You see that throughout the Word of God. But what's the difference here? Rabbinically, a chukat is a law that is beyond human comprehension. Okay? The mystery of the red heifer is the most puzzling chukat or statute or ordinance of them all. When approaching statutes that are difficult or impossible to understand, it requires one to have faith. What one can understand is by the Spirit of God who reveals all truth, not because of one's mental capabilities. And I want you to jot this scripture down. Many of you know it. John 16, 13 states that when the spirit of truth comes, when Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of truth, is the one who reveals all truth. Say amen to that. Hallelujah. And, and I love that about the Holy Spirit and about Scripture when it describes what one of the uh, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He's the revelator. He's the one who reveals. When you want to go deeper, 
Listen to me, church. When you want to go deeper in God's word, when you're done with superficial reading of the word of God, when you are done and over with doing church, you know, the same as before, just punching that time clock and checking it off your list while we went to church, hallelujah, praise God, good on us. When you want to get past that, when you want to get when you want to take that deep dive into the word of God, I mean, no, 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 it, um, uh, nothing to hold you back, uh, nothing to, to stop you from getting deeper into the word of God. Ask the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God to bring revelation to you. And I guarantee you that he will. And I'm telling you right now, church family, what we need as a church body, as a bride of Christ, as the church of God, the saints of God, those who are in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they proclaim that they have Jesus in their heart. It is time for the church of God to rise up and dive deeper into the things of God so that the superficial things of this world will not affect us, that we may better understand and even explain the word of God to a dying world. Will you agree with me on that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're diving in today into deeper waters. Are you coming in with me? Because the water's good. The water's good. So this law of the red heifer belongs to a group of laws addressed in Leviticus chapters 12 through 15 called the laws of purification. Later on, you can uh, go into those scriptures. As a matter of fact, uh, why not do it today when you are alone at home and maybe you're eating a piece of challah bread and you're having your apples with your honey. Go into Leviticus chapters 12 through 13 so that you can get a better understanding. But these are called the laws of purification. There cannot be purification without the waters of purification. Okay? Uh, the study goes on to explain that this law provides for the removal of defilement resulting from contact with the dead. Here on earth, we will encounter things that are dead, not just literally, but also spiritually. Can we agree to that? You know, there, there are things we see, there are things we hear. Sometimes, it's of no fault of ours. It just happens. There are things that we might even touch or ingest that are deadly. So, this is the process of the rite or the statute of the red heifer. They were to find an unblemished heifer that was never under the yoke, as we just read. It had to be slain outside the camp, meaning away from the tabernacle or the temple. It, it was burned with cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. We're going to go into these in just a moment. The ashes were gathered and dissolved in fresh water. Fresh water is literally chayim in Hebrew. Chayim, C-H-A-Y-I-M in Hebrew, meaning living water. Are you catching a picture for me now? Amen? Those ashes were sprinkled on anything or anyone contaminated through contact with a dead body as it related to coming into the sanctuary. This especially pertained to coming near to God. God is a holy God. And when we come near to Him, we have to be holy, right? Now here's the paradox. Here's the seemingly contradiction. The ashes from the red heifer mixed with water made the impure pure while making the pure impure. Did you catch that? We're going to go on. This is perhaps the strangest rite in all of scripture because it is a paradox. The ashes mixed with water purifies those contaminated and it also contaminates those participating in their preparation. Wow, how can that be? It purifies the impure and at the same time renders impure the pure. In addressing this theme, 
the Midrash quotes, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Job 14.4. In this verse, the word one is the word echad, E-C-H-A-D, suggesting that the phrase no one could be translated, is it not the one? Wow. Who can bring forth a clean thing from an unclean thing? Only God. Again, this is a great mystery. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, you can turn there with me if you like. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 describes, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This verse actually talks about the hidden things of God that, that we said a minute ago that the Spirit of truth then reveals to us. Yes, some things are difficult, if not impossible, to figure out. But the Spirit of God leads us to all truth and points us always to Messiah. The right of the red heifer points to the Messiah. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 verses 13 through 14 with me. Hebrews 9 13 through 14. Are you learning something yet this morning? Say amen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow, what a powerful scripture. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth is showing us that the observance, the rite, the statute of the red heifer is talking about Messiah. To have one's conscience cleansed from dead works means that things contaminated and defiled are made clean to serve the living God. To some degree, this rite has been fulfilled, yet there is also a future application relating to believers. Turn to the book of Ezekiel with me. Ezekiel, I have it written down here for the sake of time, but I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. I just love the rustling of Bible pages, don't you? Ezekiel chapter 36 beginning in verse 24 through 28 I will take from you I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you Verse 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put, I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the, in the land that I, gave, that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. These verses are connected to the waters of purification and the rite of the red heifer. Though the verse does not specifically mention the ashes of a red heifer, if the Messiah fulfilled the role of the red heifer, then one can understand that he is how believers are purified and made clean from defilement. One can understand the mystery of the red heifer by faith and not by intellect. How does one explain how the word became flesh and dying cause, causes those defiled to be considered righteous? 
How do we explain that? So the priests go into the preparation, clean and become unclean. But those who are unclean, who are then sprinkled with the waters, become clean. The Messiah, who is the fulfillment of this, enters the process clean, but becomes unclean. Let me explain. The Messiah dies and is resurrected. So those unclean can become clean. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now I want us to look at the red heifer, how the red heifer ties to carnality, Edom, and Adam. Listen to this. This is, church, this is extraordinary. I hope you're not just getting glimpses of what this all means. I hope you're getting that whole big picture. Amen? One of the priestly duties is to safeguard that which is holy. We can go into an entire teaching just on that. In the process of time, there was going to be some level of contamination. And the priest was going to have to be sprinkled and made clean to enter the Mishkan, the, the tabernacle, without contaminating it. The ashes of a red heifer and the sprinkling of the waters of purification cleans the unclean, okay? So that what is defiled can become clean. When the Lord spoke this command, it was to Moses and to Aaron. Bill Cloud explains that Judaism believes that the red cow was to atone for the golden calf. Very interesting. Aaron was included because he assisted the people in worshiping the golden calf. You all remember the story in the book of Exodus. Now let's look at this very interesting fact. The heifer is red. In Hebrew, it's aduma, symbolizing carnality and sin. Aduma, A-D-U-M-A-H, symbolizing carnality and sin. Look at Isaiah 1.18. Jot that down. It says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hallelujah. This word is related to admoni. Admoni, A-D-M-O-N-I. Also red in Genesis 25, 25. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment and all over, all over. So they called his name Esau. This scripture reference is referencing Esau. That is why they called him Esau. Because Esau was uh, hairy. Okay, but Admoni is used to describe Esau who is also called Edom. This is where the Edomites come from, okay? There are three letters in common in all three of these words. Aduma, which we just said a minute ago, Admoni, and Edom. And they spell, are you ready for this? Adam, or Adam, Adam, which is, which is connected to the idea of mankind. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The first Adam failed. So the last Adam, which we know to be Jesus, became necessary. And the red heifer is only connected to the last Adam. The process was that they were to use a red heifer without blemish and it had and it had never been under a yoke it must be completely red without even two hairs of another color or else it would be disqualified now understand that throughout many years attempts have been made to raise such a heifer without success but now in our current year at this very hour there are five 
to choose from. Very important, very significant. Five to choose from. For the temple in Israel to be rebuilt, as we read in the article, there must be a red heifer so that the temple mount can be purified. This is why it's a big deal for them to find a pure red heifer. Not only does the heifer have to be completely red, but it also cannot ever have been used for secular purposes, inferring that it must be set apart. So this red heifer really has to be like completely set apart. It can't be together with other, with other heifers, if you will. The Messiah, Jesus, the last Adam, was truly set apart and without sin. Hallelujah. We're coming down to the wire, so hang with me. Are you still with me? Nudge the person next to you. Glory to God. The faultless heifer represents the Messiah. In Hebrew, faultless, tamim, T-A-M-I-M, tamim means without spot, without wrinkle, whole, and as it should be. Are you hearing this? Are you understanding this? <laughs> Hallelujah. In Luke, 20, Luke 23, 4, referring to Jesus, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. There's also another way to view the word tamim. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it states, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Even though Jesus was faultless, blameless, and set apart, he became sin so that believers might become righteous. Glory to God. The Messiah, the pure one, had to be contaminated as sin to make the impure clean. Us, the believers, those that are in covenant with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The Messiah, Jesus, the pure and spotless one without wrinkle, without blemish, set apart, had to be contaminated as sin to make the impure clean. That's us. If red is symbolic of sin, he was made red. The word Aduma is related to Adam, man, and Adama, ground or dirt. The common denominator to these words is red. The word became flesh, ground and dwelt among us as the last Adam. I want us to look at these last points. Are you still with me? Hallelujah. Numbers 19, 3. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest. He shall take it outside the camp. The red heifer was taken outside the camp by someone else, not the high priests. As mentioned, Judaism believes this is because Aaron took part in the golden calf. It was to be slain by someone else in the presence of and in the sight of the priest. This is important. Don't miss it. It's interesting to note that Yeshua was not slain by the priest but by another, the Romans, in the presence of the priests. In Bill Cloud's opinion, and other scholars as well, it is believed that Golgotha was on the Mount of Olives, Olives, which is to the east of the Temple Mount, and the door of the temple would have faced that direction. If that's true, the Messiah was crucified facing the temple near the altar where the red heifer was burned in the days of the temple and of the tabernacle. Is it possible that the Messiah was crucified in the presence of those making the last sacrifice for Peshach, Passover? Numbers 19.4 says, Eleazar shall sprinkle her, meaning the heifer, uh, the heifer's blood toward the tent. Watch this, seven times. Again, Eleazar did not slaughter the heifer, someone else did. The specific details of the Messiah's death were the fulfillment of the red heifer's sacrifice. 
I want you to write that down and catch it. The specific details of the Messiah's death were the fulfillment of the red heifer's sacrifice. Eleazar was the one standing to the east of the temple who received the blood in the vessel. He then faced the sanctuary and threw blood in the direction of the tabernacle seven times. Now I want you to consider this that Jesus shed his blood seven times, seven different ways, I should say. His sweat became blood in the garden. He was scourged. His beard, beard was plucked out. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. A lance was thrust into his side. So there's a lot of commonalities and par uh, parallels and symbols here that we can see. In Golgotha, if Golgotha was on the Mount of Olives, then the Messiah was facing the door of the temple. Now let's consider the red heifer's cleansing detail and we're going to close with this last point. Numbers 19.6 And the priest shall take cedar wood, underline that, and hyssop, underline that, and scarlet, and that as well, and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. They used cedar, hyssop, and scarlet, and were cast into the fire during the burning of the red heifer. Of the heifer. Some speculate that the Messiah may have been crucified on a cedar cross. Hyssop was used to give him sour wine. If you look at John 19.29, it says, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. This was at the crucifixion, obviously, when Jesus was already on the cross. And they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Therefore, fulfilling this parallel as well, prophecy. Then in Matthew 27, 28, the Romans stripped him and put scar a scarlet robe on him. The Messiah, who knew no sin, was made red in every way. He is the fulfillment of the red heifer sacrifice. Jesus takes center stage throughout the message of the red heifer. That's the bottom line. As we see in Numbers 19, 7 through 8, those who participated in this rite became unclean. This implies that those who participated in Jesus' crucifixion became unclean. Considering that the Romans and Pilate were already unclean, it must mean that the priests became unclean. And now according to Numbers 19.19, 19, the man who gathered the ashes did not participate in the burning of the heifer. That's interesting. Consider that a man who did not participate in the crucifixion gathered Jesus and put him in the grave. Is that beautiful or what? The mystery of the red heifer, which Judaism says cannot be comprehended, is only understood when one realizes that everything about this rite points to Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. Hallelujah. Will you stand with me this morning, church? Glory to God. Come on, give God a, give God a clap offering in the house this morning. Hallelujah. I want to acknowledge Bill Cloud and ISO, International School of the Word, for this amazing teaching and insight on this topic. Many of this was gathered through several of, of the lessons. And I want us to understand that the mystery of the red heifer lies in that it ultimately points toward the Messiah. Those that don't have understanding of who Jesus, the Messiah, really is, are hoping that by obtaining and performing the rite, the purification process of the red heifer will purify them and they'll be able to build the third temple. But they don't fully comprehend that the purification rite of the red heifer and the ashes is a picture of Jesus the Messiah who already came and will come again 
very, very soon. So why is the news about the five red heifers important in this time, you might ask? Because it points to the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Five red heifers are currently being inspected. Five, in case you didn't know, is the number of grace. Here's the culmination of this message today. Jesus is saying, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And his church needs an awakening. He is gracious enough to sound the alarm. The shofar church is sounding. Can you hear it? Can you hear what the Spirit of God is saying? I believe that our church, however small it may appear to some in the sight of others, has a part in this end time picture. We are sounding the shofar. Together with many other people, other churches, other pastors around the world who are alerting the church at large in this day and time. But make no mistake, there are many churches that are asleep. There are many churches that are in a lukewarm state and they need to arise and wake up and see the signs of the time. With the current state of the world today, talks of Russia, I hear it and see it all the time. Iran, China, pandemics, diseases, viruses, rumors of war, recession, food shortages, people confused about their gender, evil agendas making their way into schools, homes, marriages, and there's so much more. There's so much darkness in our world today. We are literally witnessing the Word of God play out right before our very eyes. It's no wonder things such as this seemingly small topic of the red heifers are coming to light for such a time as this at this time. Coupling it with the coming feast, the fall feasts. Church, I encourage you, look up, for our redemption draws nigh. Can we pray this morning? Hallelujah. Father, I ask you this morning that if there be anyone, whether it be in our congregation today, or those that are listening online and tuning in, if they are not in right standing with you, if they cannot truly say, I have peace with God at the very moment. <clears throat> I am at peace with God. If they can't truly say that, I pray that you will convict their hearts. <clears throat> that Lord, they would open up their hearts, their minds, their lives to you. That they would surrender to you. That today would be the day. And that Holy Spirit, you will open up their eyes and hearts and minds of understanding that they will understand things such as these that we've studied here this morning and lord that they would live for you all the days of their lives i pray this in the mighty name of jesus and i'm going to ask you with your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment those of you that are standing there in our church those of you that are even listening online whether you're in the car maybe you're at home maybe you're preparing dinner whatever it is that you're doing at this moment and you would say to me Deep in your heart and honest with yourself, Pastor Yvette, I, I'm not right with God. I know I'm not, and I need to get right with Him. Would you just open up your heart and your mind and just ask Him into your heart and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, repeat this prayer after me and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I open up my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I cannot do it any other way except through you and having you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I promise that I will live for you every day of my life. You now are my Lord and my Savior. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a simple prayer. But guess what? By making that prayer, saying that prayer, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've done that. You've confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and you surrendered your heart to him. Welcome into the family of God. You have now been grafted into God's family. And that, my dear, is a big deal. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life. We always say it. Amen. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God has just reached down and just touched so many lives? Share this message with your friends and your family. Hit like on it. I pray that that the coming days you'll all be protected from this storm. I know the West Coast and all of this, they were talking about it um, with that storm. <clears throat> and I just pray that everyone will be protected. So I pray right now, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for protection over everyone in our congregation, their families, their friends, everyone that's listening to this message. And Lord, I pray right now that their eyes of understanding, their heart and their minds would understand your word in a deeper way, that they will, they will have such a hunger in their hearts to dive deeper into your word, Father. I pray that as they go their way today and they celebrate uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, Father, that they will have a time of introspect, that they will have a time of alone with you, of intimacy with you, that they will come to a place of repenting, perhaps of things that they've said or done or seen or whatever the case may be, even up until today, even up until five seconds ago. They, they will have a heart of repentance and then they will run after you and ask you for forgiveness and serve you every day of their lives. This is our prayer, Lord God. Bring back the prodigal sons and daughters as well, Heavenly Father. I believe that this is the time for it, Father. This is the time. I pray this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus as I bless this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. I'm getting ready to enjoy some of the challah bread and some apples and some honey and pomegranates. God bless you, church. We love you and we'll be with you really, really soon. Take care. God bless.